Hey, podcast family. Did you know that on May 2nd and 3rd, 2024, our 3D Growth Summit is happening in Nashville, Tennessee? But in-person tickets are already sold out with nearly 400 attendees. But you don't have to miss out. You can get exclusive access to our live stream and post-event recordings for just $395. Yes, you heard that right. For a single fee, you and your entire dental team can learn from our industry leaders with online recordings available after the event. So secure your spot now before it's too late by visiting www.3d-dentist.com slash 3D Summit or give us a call at 855-332-2285 and get your tickets for the live stream and event recording today. Now, let's get to this week's episode. This or any other kind of situation that's going to cause added stress, frustration, um, different things like that, alcohol would be used as something to, to medicate from some of that stress, to be able to cope with those things. Um, so typically, and, and if I'm getting going too much on a tangent here, feel free to stop me, but especially in the, in the situation with abuse uh, of alcohol, um, you know, it, it definitely becomes a situation of kind of self-medication, if you will. So so typically you would find, and it, it doesn't, sometimes it, it starts in the beginning where someone is, something is going on, whether this is a mental health, co-occurring mental health issues like depression, anxiety, or something like that, where someone would maybe consciously or unconsciously reach for alcohol or some other substance to self help self-medicate that co-occurring condition. Um, so that's kind of one place it can start from. The other place it can start from is maybe the person really just enjoyed being under the influence and it kind of slowly but surely undergoes a cycle of kind of getting out of hand, so to speak. But regardless of where it, it began from, um, it definitely, in, in the case of abusing alcohol or some problematic use, uh, definitely develops um, into a situation to where it is self-medication of whatever that situation is, coping with stress, coping with frustration, uh, toxic or imbalanced family dynamics, depression, anxiety, um, all uh, kinds of things like uncertainty. that. Uncertainty. Uncertainty. Like, yeah. like current times. Absolutely. And then uh, speaking of current times, I wanted to come to you and talk about uh, the word triggers. Mm-hmm. Okay, so what could be going on right now uh, that could be triggering people into this or is that is that an you know look i'm i'm a i'm a person that doesn't drink very much okay Mm -hmm. so i'm not here to pass judgment i'm just here Mm -hmm. to kind of facilitate a conversation but is that an excuse i don't know if it's an excuse it's truly people we actually want to identify triggers so some triggers could be um like right now the covid19 crisis that we're in um triggers could be spending too much time with family sometimes family can be toxic you know, and sometimes we need to work on those toxic relationships. So, um, and sometimes it's just, you know, financial pressures. I mean, so many different things can be a trigger. Um, sometimes it's uh, work related, like, you know, in order for you to sleep at night, you're drinking because your mind's racing. Um, I've been talking to a lot of people today. Well, actually today I saw uh, a person and she had been really working on her sobriety and this current crisis has her stuck at home. She's not working as much. She's more free time. So she is drinking more and she really when I asked her do you want to talk about it do you want to work on it she said no I really don't 
because she doesn't know. But I mean, that's really yeah. what it is. I know I don't want to work on it. She knows it's a problem. She doesn't want to work on it right now mm-hmm. because she doesn't see a way out of the situation. And but she knows I'm here. And so ultimately, like today for me, when I was thinking about like, we need to talk about this um, is because more and more I talk to my friends, to coworkers, everyone's talking about how they go home and drink, you know? And so it's not just the news. It's actually our reality. And um, we don't drink that much. Like we hardly drink and you don't drink at all. Right. Mm-hmm. So we don't really have that at home that we're doing that, right. but we all have histories of, you know, whatever in the past, right? So, But I do feel more stress, and there are times where sometimes that stress does want me to pick up things, mm-hmm. uh, maybe have a drink a little bit more often. Uh, is that legitimate, that, that this stress, uh, maybe the financial pressures more than anything else is, is can lead people to alcohol? I, I think absolutely. As a matter of fact, I mean, if we just look at, you know, your casual social situation, I mean uh, – yeah. You know, people will typically, you know, you have a long day at work and like in, in our culture, you know, a lot of people will kind of take the edge off, so to speak, right. by stopping by the bar, their favorite restaurant after work with a couple of friends and, and having something to drink. And and I think that's a very uh, normalized thing in our society and in our culture. So, I mean, you can see it right there. You know, I drink alcohol mm-hmm. so that I can relieve pressure, right? So that I can relieve stress. And, uh, you know, I think there's varying degrees of that, right? And I think it's very easy, especially right now, we have this perfect storm situation. I mm-hmm. mean, there's there's financial stress. There's there's uncertainty, uh, spending time at home with families, and sometimes exactly like... Homeschooling. Uh, yeah, homeschooling. Right? Too much time with family. Too yeah. much time for the family, absolutely. So, And I think, uh, you know, it makes nothing uh, but sense that for us that that's already a norm in our culture and now put everybody in the situation that they're in currently. I mean, I think, you know, it makes nothing but sense that everybody would start overindulging in alcohol. Well, what would be some of the signs and symptoms that someone has an alcohol or a substance abuse problem? You know, look, look, I'm going to put myself in the situation and say, you know what, maybe I used to have one drink every day after work. I had a long day, but now since there is no work, maybe I'll wake up and have a drink and then maybe I'll add one in the afternoon. And then, of course, well, I should be coming home and I'm just used to having one now. You know, what are the signs and symptoms that that, you know, I, I'm starting to push the limits of mm-hmm. of uh, maybe I'm not an alcoholic or I don't have a problem, but I'm really starting to teeter on the edge of something that could really release me into something more significant. Yeah. So the first thing that comes to mind is going to be the the amount and frequency, right? So just just as you pointed out, you know, there's a there's a typical progression that would take place. And sometimes this happens over years, days, weeks, months, depends on the person uh, and the problem. But that would be the first thing we would look at would be uh, frequency and the amount that they're drinking. So if there's an escalation that's going on there, uh, anything that starts coming close to uh, more days than not during the week, definitely when it starts coming to daily More drink. days than not having a drink or more days than not drinking to excess? So either one can be a problem. Okay. I think um, depending on, you know, so if, if they're drinking more days than not, Let's say if they're drinking, you know, four to five days out of a week, uh, that may just be a couple of beers. Um, but if there's a, again, if there's a progression there where maybe at some point in the future or in the past they, they were not drinking that much and there's been a progression to that, I think that's a clear sign that maybe we haven't reached a point to where it is prob- problematic use yet, but it may be kind of headed in that direction. 
Um, if the person's drinking daily, again, I think regardless of how much they're drinking, that's definitely something we should look at. Uh, what I think the, the natural question that comes to mind is what is it that's, uh, you know, so, so bad about life that you have to be able to, you have to take that edge off on a daily basis, right? Um, so, so frequency, the amount, because that's the next thing. So if they're drinking daily, if they're drinking more days than they're not, but they're also drinking, you know, let's say in excess. So if this is four, five, six drinks, maybe it was beer and wine at one point. Now it switched over to liquor or something like that. These are other things that we want to look at. So frequency and duration. Well, I'm sorry. Frequency and amount would definitely be one thing. The, the other thing that we really want to look at is not only just how much and how often are they drinking, but how is that affecting their life and their ability to function? And this is going to show up in all kinds of different ways. Are they, are they unable to, you know, behave in, in patterns that are, that are going to be considered normal, right? Or, or are they unable to control their behavior? Um, is it causing stress in the family system? Is it causing, uh, you know, uh, interruptions in the family dynamics and things like that? Are they, are they engaging in activities that are going to cause them some pretty significant consequences, whether this is legal, whether this is rupturing family relationships and things like that? That's some of the bigger thing that we want to look at is like, okay, maybe they're drinking too much too often, but how is that really starting to impact their life? And I think if, if you can sit back, whether this is yourself, whether this is a relative, or even as the professional, we're going to look at this very similar. We're going to say, okay, how much are they drinking? How often? What kind of alcohol is it? And how much is this really negatively impacting their life? Um, there's some other things that we would look at, kind of more of a physiological reaction to if they've now continued this pattern for so long and they try not to drink one day or two days at a time and they start to have some physical symptoms from that. Like withdrawal type like symptoms? withdrawal type symptoms. This would be a very clear sign. that Even they minor withdrawal? But like not necessarily having the shakes or something, mm -hmm. but having even minor symptoms, would that be a concern? Even minor symptoms, I think anything above a, a, a hangover, and we would classify hangovers maybe just like a headache, not feeling so well, you okay. know? Uh, anything above that, any kind of like shakes, uh, sweating, um, help nausea. me out. Nausea, um, high blood pressure, spikes in blood pressure, and anything like, like that. Like needing to drink. Mm -hmm. I mean, like needing to drink is part of it too. Absolutely. Like to make yourself feel better, mm -hmm. right? All right, and and with the uh, withdrawals, it's also like not being able to go a certain time without alcohol. Right. That's exactly. it's even a psychological thing, mm -hmm. but it's physio coming from a physiological place. Absolutely. Right? All right. So I want to ask you a question on this. Okay. So what is the difference? Uh, okay. So I, I'm trying to put myself in the, in the position of the, of the it person. Could be, it could be one, you know, mm -hmm. it's that easy. It's not like, it's well, I, you know, I have tendencies, us, right? right. I have tendencies. Right. I mean, like I just let this morning, I was talking about like, I don't like this idea of drinking coffee every day right now because I know it can be, it, you know, something. And again, I know coffee and alcohol are but different. It, it, but my point is it's not them versus us at all. Like, it's very much it could be one of us. I mean, alcohol is legal. family member. Well, mm -hmm. alcohol is legal. So it's like an easy way to just get something to chill out. You know yeah. what I mean? That's what people usually start with. It's usually something fun or something to chill out, right? Yeah. So if it's something that's legal to chill out, why wouldn't you do it, right? So that's Absolutely. what they're thinking. It's mm -hmm. not like they're going into it thinking I'm going to become an alcoholic or even a lot of people don't even know that it's become an, an issue. But when it starts affecting your family system and it starts affecting work or it starts, or you in the morning you're waking up foggy and not feeling yourself, like that's kind of some, some signs, you know, that yeah. it's Absolutely. becoming an issue. Absolutely. Okay, so now let's say I'm using the COVID-19 as a quote-unquote excuse I have a short-term increase 
But how, how does that compare to alcoholism? Uh, and, and what are the long-term effects of having a short-term increase? Stay with us. We'll be right back. Hey there, podcast family. T-Bone here to talk about the 3D Dentist Digital Implant Continuum. Are you ready to start placing dental implants but feeling a bit hesitant and or overwhelmed? I know that feeling. I've been there. Let's change that together. Imagine not just learning about dental implants in a classroom, but actually performing surgeries on real patients right here in North Carolina, guided every step of the way by our expert 3D mentors. This is dental implant learning at its best, using techniques that are safe, predictable, and confidence-boosting. They're exactly what I use in my own practice, so you know they work. Our course goes beyond clinical skills. We prepare you to successfully integrate high-demand implant services into your practice, transforming your career by attracting new patients and elevating your practice. And it doesn't end with the course. Completing our program is just the beginning of a new journey. You'll be a part of a community of confident, skilled dentists with ongoing support to ensure lasting success and growth. After all, this is about mastering a skill that can transform your career just like it did for me. So, are you ready to take your practice to the next level? Visit www.3d-dentist.com, check out our upcoming sessions, and join us to revolutionize your practice. 3D Dentist is truly committed to helping dentists take control of their practice, finances, and future. Now let's get back to this week's episode. So I think the alcoholism word kind of mm. gets used a lot. But if you look in our like criteria, it's alcohol dependence or alcohol abuse, right? Is mm-hmm. that correct? And so do you want to like get into that a little more? Well, well, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So so it's actually recently switched to it's it's basically on a spectrum now, spectrum. right? So yeah. it's it's it would be an alcohol use disorder. Yeah. And basically it's either mild, moderate or severe. And we have some very specific criteria. So it's not alcoholism anymore? It's not alcoholic? You're alcoholic? No. I don't really like to call people alcoholics or alcoholism. Like, we don't use those words. You know, we really... I'm a layperson, so I apologize. No, no, no. And and everyone in the world still uses those words. But in the field, we don't like to because it labels people and we're trying Mm -hmm. to make it more, you know, I mean... Like, well, because it can be anyone, you know, yeah. it doesn't have to be an alcoholic, what you picture as an alcoholic, right? Mm-hmm. Like right. it can really be someone who's highly functional. Yeah, right? exactly. And that's a hundred percent. That's why we've kind of moved away from that word, like yeah. alcoholic, which, you know, like for example, in 12 step programs, people will still use that term yeah. pretty frequently. Uh, but for that exact reason, mm-hmm. like, you know, people are people, right? And mm-hmm. we're husbands and wives yeah. and mm-hmm. all that stuff, right? We're not alcoholics, we're people. Yeah. But, um, yeah, so to get back to that, so a substance use disorder, an alcohol use disorder, um, it can still be a disorder. It can still be problematic and not be as severe as what one might kind of think of as your typical, you know, person who's struggling with, with an alcohol use disorder. You know, I think uh, if you ask most people, it's kind of this this idea of something they saw in a movie or something mm-hmm. like that. You know, somebody with tattered clothes that are kind of like on the street and they're mm-hmm. like, you know, living life minute by minute to drink alcohol and you know, I don't, I, that's not the case, right? I mean, it can be somebody just like Dr. Gupta said, I mean, someone just like us yeah. uh, that you may never even know that it had a problem, right. but behind closed doors is like really struggling, right? So, so, um, so a alcohol use disorder, mild, 
maybe someone that is having exactly what you're talking about, maybe just kind of an uptick, if you will, in their in their alcohol use that's maybe just kind of started as a result of what's been going on with the current COVID situation. But if it's still causing some problems in their life, uh, that may be something that's actually diagnosable. You know what I mean? Yeah, we have a question that's come in. It's, uh, I wonder how many people are using, quote unquote, virtual happy hours as an excuse to consume alcohol. Is participating in every VHH virtual happy hour recommended? Will it be considered substance abuse if participating in multiple VHH per week? So again, it comes down to, you know, that's a that's the first thing that we want to look at is like how much, how often. But someone can drink all they want to. If it doesn't cause them any problems, then who are we as professionals to say it is a problem? But, but is a pro- right. okay, so, so let, then let uh-huh. me ask this. Is yeah. there is a problem, in, and to me this is where the real crutch of it is. Mm-hmm. Is the problem what the person recognizes a problem or is it a problem when it affects the overall, you know, the, the outside family. Like, like for example, Mona may, may say, if I, have, if I have a drink, it affects us because it takes my attention away from work. Right. It takes my attention away from family. Mm-hmm. It, you know, disrupts me from getting up and being on time to work. Exactly. You know, to me, that's a problem, right? Mm-hmm. If it, if it re, you know, removes me from, you know, dealing with what's going on in life. Absolutely. Or, you know, to, to further that, if, uh, you know, if someone's, use of alcohol is negatively impacting their ability to, you know, perform at work or if it's negatively impacting their health in some way. Sleep. Sleep, absolutely. I mean, you know, uh, there's so many different ways that it can potentially affect someone. But that's really what we're looking at is, is uh, I think, the tendency or the, the, the probability that it will affect their life negatively is going to go up and correlated with the amount that they're drinking, the amount and the frequency that they're drinking, right? Um, so I, I, you know, just to get back to that specific question, I think that if someone is engaging in these kind of virtual happy hours on a pretty regular basis, and again, this is kind of an escalation or a progression mm-hmm. uh, that's happened that maybe they weren't engaging in, in before, I think that's definitely something that people need to be looking out yeah. for, right? Well, you know, part of my concern in all of this is, is, is I break down the, the again, as a layperson, mm-hmm. okay, is there are people that have a tendency okay, and or maybe have worked hard to not have this affect them, and then this event is happening, and it really drives them. It it drives them back to that. So that's defined. That's the trigger we're talking about. This could be the trigger. And then you have to look. There's so much more to alcoholism and um, substance use in general. Like, you look at family history, too. So if someone has a family history of alcoholism or drug use, they could have more of a tendency to become have a problem. So they could be just drinking here and there, and it's mm-hmm. not a big deal. But then a life stressor happens, COVID being a perfect example, and it flips that switch, Absolutely. you know? And so that's kind of where we're saying, like, you know, just it's like you just have to monitor because what could not have, what wasn't a problem before could become a problem. And Absolutely. it's like, you know, being able to check yourself and mm-hmm. say, am I drinking a little more than usual? And what am I drinking for? Is it for pleasure? Is it for you know, coping is it, cause I think if you're using it to cope and you're using it to relax or using it to sleep, that becomes a problem. Absolutely. I've not seen very many people who've been able to not say that's a problem eventually, yeah, you know, 100%. Yeah. So, all right. So what role does the family or friends or, you know, loved ones or work colleagues or anyone uh, play a role in this? How can they, um, you know, how can they help this person? How can they recognize 
what alternatives can we suggest mm-hmm. to people in this scenario? Alternatives for the for the family or for the the individual? For the individual. Mm-hmm. Uh, so. I think that's a really good question. I think, and that's some some material that maybe everybody could use right now, because I think we're all trying to find ways to, you know, keep ourselves occupied, keep ourselves engaged, and really, I mean, that's the first stuff that comes to mind. Is uh, back to Dr. Gupta's point. I think that you know, using it as as a method of coping, right? Mm-hmm. Um, if we're not going to use alcohol, but yet we still need to cope in some way, I think that's exactly what we need to be looking at. You know, like what do we have access to? Whether that's in our house in our backyard, in our neighborhood, something like that, that's not going to put us at risk of maybe, you know, coming in contact with the virus, but is going to give us some outlets where we can spend some energy or we can maybe even find some 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 calmness and peace, right? Well, it's hard to say go to the gym because you can't it is go to the indeed. gym. That's right. I think that's also a reason why people have an uptick right now yeah. is because they don't have that outlet. That's true. You know, so a lot of people who used to go to the gym every day can't go to the gym, mm-hmm. you know, or they used to, you know, go to yoga or whatever. They're not able to go to those places, even though they can do it at home. But for some reason that gave them an outing or whatnot, and they're not able to get that outing anymore. So then they are coming home and they're like, what can I do? And right. here's a glass of wine or a beer yep. and then, you know, and it's giving me the relief I used to get. Okay. All right. Well, these are a lot of good things here. Um, So, all right. So let's say um, I'm worried. I recognize this is a family member, someone I love or Mm -hmm. care. Uh, How does someone get help? Where do they start? What type of programs are there? What would you say before you look for professional help? You know, what, you know, what What are are the the steps, you know, to kind of go through all of that stuff? We could, Maybe even do a, a whole separate podcast just <laughs> I, on I this would love topic. to. I'd love to. You know, I'm open to that. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, so, you know, so there are there there are levels of care, right? And I'll barely kind of scratch the surface of this because it's a it's a can be a deep conversation. But depending on exactly that, you know, we're looking at substance use disorder, alcohol use disorder, and the different levels of severity. And depending on what's going on in that particular person's situation and how severe it is, is going to determine what level of care they would need as far as treatment goes. Um, And, you know, a lot of that has to do with risk for withdrawal symptoms. Is it going to be a medical issue for them? Is there going to be some medical risk involved with them discontinuing their use, right? Um, Also, like level of motivation, insight that they may have into the problem and the relationship with the substance and so forth and so on. So there's a lot that goes into kind of determining where someone needs to be placed in those level of care, but it can start everything from medical detox to what we would call like residential treatment where someone would go away and like be in a facility. So that's probably somebody that's probably a little bit farther along where they're, you know, they're like literally, you know, they're, Mm -hmm. They're quote unquote drunk on a daily basis. So that would be a residential type program. You're exactly right. That'd be a residential treatment center. And that that literally, uh, along with the detox and the medical staff that would be on site there to help them through that process, uh, it literally removes someone from their environment. So, you know, hopefully there's no alcohol in a residential treatment center, right? There shouldn't be, right? There shouldn't be. You're kind Uh, of like in a safe place. Yeah. You know? You're a safe place. So kind of underneath that, the less re- lesser restrictive level of care would be uh, what we call partial hospitalization or intensive outpatient. So that's your first level of care where it's this 
the treatment is still really intense, but it's done on an outpatient basis, right? So you don't have to be in a facility necessarily. You can do those types of treatments while you're living at home and in the community, and uh, you would go into a facility to receive some pretty pretty frequent treatment. Throughout and what does pretty frequent mean? So with uh, intensive outpatient, that would be 10 hours a week of services, uh, and that's typically a kind of co- combination of uh, group therapy and individual therapy uh, with partial hospitalization, which is kind of in between. I know that some of this gets confusing, sure. but in between that residential and IOP, you have partial hospitalization. That's actually 20 hours a week, and it's the same kind of combination uh, and that 20 hours is staying somewhere? No, the 20 hours at partial hospitalization, uh, and again, I know this gets confusing, partial hospitalization can be, can include some residential component, but there's a lot of places. As a matter of fact, um, you know, Gupta Psychiatry and Wellness, we have a partial hospitalization yeah. program, and we there's no residential component. Everybody lives in, at their own home, and they function within the community. Um, pretty hard to have a full-time job at that point because you're working, you know, you're 20 hours a week of services that you're engaging in, but you would do 20 hours a week of a combination of group therapy and individual counseling, family counseling, and also visits, medication management visits as well. So is a PHP, I think that's Mm -hmm. what it's called, correct? Correct. Yes. Um, Is that like a step down, uh, say somebody goes for residential treatment, Mm -hmm. this may be their... I don't want to say this incorrect, but their first step mm-hmm. back into society to a certain like degree. like debriefing. Yeah, yeah or you like, know, almost, like, right? like, like home arrest or something. Yeah, I mean, not, it's not arrest, but yeah. But yeah, yeah, it's one step below. Below, yeah. yeah. So, and that's the thing about, um, you know, getting back to the original question, I guess. So there's all these different levels of care. And typically, you know, in a, in a best case scenario, somebody was, uh, you know, determined that it was severe enough they needed to go to detox. And then maybe after detox, they did residential treatment for 30, 45, 60 days. Then they would step down to partial hospitalization. Then they would step down to intensive outpatient. But depending on that level of severity, that doesn't mean they have to go completely through that, that, uh, that linear process. Depending on if they're maybe not as... Th- they're not as severe as needing detox or residential. Maybe they go in at that intensive outpatient level of care. Maybe they go in at that partial hospitalization level. And to be honest with you, maybe there's some people, you know, talking about people that are just kind of having an uptick uh, in their use during this period that maybe could use some additional support and guidance with that. Maybe that's seeing an outpatient counselor or psychiatrist to be able to just talk about what's going on what changes they've noticed and be able to get some, some strategies around that. All right. So, so what I heard in that last one there mm-hmm. was ultimately there are three levels in a sense, right? So, mm-hmm. I mean, I'm sure there's yes, more, but let's, from, yes. from a broad perspective, Absolutely. there's all the way in where you're going to go to a facility and stay there. Mm-hmm. Okay. And you're having essentially 24 hours a day care. Absolutely. Okay. Then there's a step down, which is a partial hospitalization, mm-hmm. either 10 or 20 hours a week, with a direct interaction in a group setting and or an individual setting. Mm-hmm. And then there is the, hey, I'm not that far off. I just need some just ba- some regular therapy with a focus on some substance abuse, somebody that has a little bit more, uh, certainly a focus on that area and being able to help them uh, to kind of maybe avoid having to go to a PHP or a, or a residential program. Absolutely. Yep. And not everyone, like, so we have something special that we do is we do outpatient detox and there aren't a lot of places that do it. Um, you have to find a doctor who will kind of work with you and do it and you ha- they have to be able to trust that you're going to do it the right way. So we'll what we'll do is if someone is drinking pretty heavy, 
but does, doesn't have any other medical concerns, we will help them to come off the alcohol on an outpatient basis. Mm-hmm. Uh, but they'll come in every single day and then they'll go do an IOP or PHP program at that point. Absolutely. What medications, sorry, what medications uh, are there available for people to uh, assist with that? Is, are there medications outside so of therapy and stuff? There's a lot of medicine. And I think that we're going to have to do that um, on another program as well, but there's um, tons. Just give me a couple. If you so there's mind. one called naltrexone or Vivitrol. That is a medication that um, kind of stops the effect of the alcohol. Okay. So you just don't, like you may drink a little bit, but you just, it really doesn't give you that effect anymore. So you kind of just are like, eh, I don't want it. You know, it's also an opiate blocker. So it's for people with opiate dependence as well. So it's used for alcohol and opiates. Then there is something called Camperol. There's like a bunch of different ones. There's the one that people take that makes them vomit. Oh, anti-abuse, right? Which we tend to go to the naltrexone because that's like the one that I feel like is least harmful. Um, Camperol, it it works. I mean, it's not my, I'm not the biggest fan. There's a lot of other ones too, but. So there are medications. There are medications that can assist. And I do think for, for what we do and what we've seen in just in our program itself, the naltrexone is like game changer for some people. Absolutely. You know, I mean, the other ones, antabuse and stuff, you've heard of them. It makes people sick. People get nervous to take mm-hmm. them. This one is just like easy. And then you can do an injection. And Well, the reason know. I ask about medication is sometimes people need that jump start. Yes. You know, so, some, some, sometimes, you know, it's... it's we like, don't want them to be on medication forever, no, but exactly. it'll help them to get mm-hmm. off the alcohol. Right. It's about getting results quicker. Absolutely. And also, too, some, you know, antidepressant or yeah. and anti-anxiety type medications can really help, too, with people, especially, you know, if they're pretty severe off in their substance use disorder. And as soon as they get off of the substance, I mean, there's going to be some natural mm. depression and anxiety that's going on. And, uh, you know, so not only just kind of taking care of the alcohol, the, yeah, the alcohol and the cravings and stuff like that, but also trying to help them get more of a baseline with their mood so that they can engage in some of these other therapies and really be able to get the benefit from them. Okay. Fine. Anything else? So, Justin, I'd like to give you an opportunity to um, talk about who you are, how people sure. can get in touch with you. Absolutely. And I, I, I apologize. I didn't ask you in the beginning. What is your background? Like your ex? What makes sure. you an expert in substance abuse? So, uh, I've been doing it a long time. I guess that's it. Um, but uh, so <laughs> you don't have a lot of gray. <laughs> so I. Um, I, I have, I'm a licensed professional counselor, which actually in the state of North Carolina just switched to licensed clinical mental health counselor, but nevertheless, and a <laughs> licensed clinical substance, uh, clinical addiction specialist. A lot so of, a lot of letters tell us there. the letters. Yeah. L, L-M-H-C, I think is the new one. And then uh, L-C-A-S is the okay. substance abuse credential. So I have a, a master's degree in clinical mental health counseling and basically... So I first started working in mental health, actually, in, in uh, community mental health, uh, psychiatric stabilization type units. But very quickly, just through some personal experiences and stuff like that, became very interested in working in substance abuse specifically. And I've been doing that for multiple years now. I've worked in uh, mainly residential treatment programs. I've helped develop, develop some some partial hospitalization residential programs in the past. Um, moved up here to North Carolina from South Florida about three years ago. And it was the clinical director at another intensive outpatient program. And actually just recently within the past year came on board with Dr. Gupta to, to open up Gupta wellness, which is our own partial hospitalization and intensive outpatient substance abuse program. So somewhere in that mix, I guess, makes me an expert okay. in there. And how can people <laughs> get in touch with you? 
So honestly, I, I am not shy about giving out my cell phone. I want to be able to really open up that line of communication. If somebody needs help, if somebody's ready to take a step with that, I would really like for them to just call my cell phone and we can kind of talk about what's going on, strategize and get them plugged in how we need to. If we need to bring them in and do an assessment, have a little bit of a deeper discussion about what level of care, what kind of treatment is going to be best for them. Uh, so that number, best way to get a hold of me is area code 561-632-0120. And again, I'm Justin McClendon. I'm the clinical director over at Gupta Psychiatry and Wellness. And uh, that's my story. I'm sticking to it. Well, I would like to um, leave it with one thing because it's near and dear to my heart, and that is for professionals. Uh, for professionals, our license mm -hmm. is very well regulated by the state boards of dentistry, medicine, pharmacology, lawyering, whatever it may be. And if you have a substance abuse problem, uh, it can really wreak havoc on your life and your, and your family's life. Uh, and it is not a death sentence, okay? There are programs that are available for dentists, for physicians, that can help them get back on a road to recovery without losing their license. And so I want people to, to really focus on this opportunity to, um, to really take a look. And, and for loved ones of people that may have a tendency with alcohol, and I think we can generally say this across all boards mm -hmm. for all substances. Absolutely. Um, uh, reach out for help, okay? Whether it's Justin, whether it's online, whether it's someone else. Uh, here's, at the end of the day, uh, our goal certainly is, is to help people move to the next step. And, and that may be a program in your area. That may be a program in our area. That may be a more intense program. That may be mm -hmm. a uh, residential program. Uh, but utilize Justin as a as a source to have a conversation. Just talk to somebody, see what's going on, help assess your situation, and and really kind of know what path to go on next. So, Absolutely. Uh, Justin, I want to thank you, uh, Mona, Dr. Gupta. I hate saying that. <laughs> I want to thank you as well, and uh, uh, thank you both for taking the time and and talking about a a, a very important subject, uh, especially now. Certainly more than ever, but always as well. Absolutely. Thank you for having me. Thank My pleasure. You. Hey, podcast family. T-Bone here. Are you a dentist looking to elevate your practice and profits? Then pay close attention. Introducing the 3D Business Mastermind, the dental business coaching program designed for dentists who want to see real results. I've walked the path of practice ownership for nearly 25 years. I know your challenges. I felt your pain. This is your opportunity to overcome the chaos, the busyness, and the financial frustrations of owning a dental practice. Imagine a dental practice where your appointment book is highly productive, doing the dentistry you enjoy, your team is self-motivated, and your profits keep climbing. That's what the 3D Business Mastermind is all about. In this exclusive mastermind, you'll join a league of ambitious dentists driven to elevate their practices. You'll gain access to proven strategies, personalized coaching, and a community that understands your journey. So if you're ready to supercharge your dental practice and enjoy the success you deserve, visit www.3d-dentists.com and take the first step towards a brighter future in dentistry by filling out the 3D Business Mastermind application. Now, let's get to this week's episode.